Welcome to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Today's episode is Death Lends a Hand, starring Robert Culp and Ray Milland. This is episode two of season one. This episode was directed by Bernard Kowalski and written by Richard Levinson and William Link. The original air date was October 6, 1971, and the runtime, 73 minutes. Let's get right to the episode summary. Arthur Kennicutt is a newspaper mogul. He's married to a much younger woman and suspects she's having an affair. Kennicutt has hired the firm Bremner Associates to have his wife's activities investigated. Bremner's firm finds that Mrs. Kennicutt has been cheating, but Bremner offers her a chance to pass information to his firm in exchange for their silence. She refuses the offer and turns the tables on Bremner by threatening to expose his deception to her powerful husband. The Murder Scene the opening scene has Bremner shooting a pistol at a target at an indoor gun range. He stops and in a display of his pompous arrogance, holds the gun in the air and says, this one is as crooked as a dog's hind leg. He puts the gun down and turns around to walk out of the room where a yes man is waiting to brief him on their progress on several cases. He walks hurriedly back to his office where he waits a few moments for Arthur Kennicutt to arrive. Ray Milland who is in turn briefed about an ongoing investigation into his wife's infidelities. Bremner lies to Arthur Kennicutt, telling him that his firm has found no evidence that Lenore has been unfaithful. Kennicutt is surprised and relieved. He leaves happy. Bremner enters the room adjacent to his office where Lenore has been listening over the intercom. She is at first a bit confused about why he did this until he explains that his firm lives off information and her husband owns three newspapers. He wants her to be an information funnel, a good listener, quote, is what he calls it. He doesn't imply that he will tell her husband the truth if she refuses, but he asks her to think about his request and they can talk again later. She leaves a little stunned. The next scene we have Bremner arrive at his beach house in the evening. I love this place. The deep pile shag rug, the gray wall to wall, the low furniture. Look at that couch. It's six inches off the ground. And the art. He has a Joseph Albert homage to the square right by the door. And he has a piece uh, on the wall near the door that I think might be a Kandinsky. Mrs. Kennicutt is in the house. She let herself in. She and Arthur have a beach house three miles away, so she just walked over. She mixed herself a drink. She's a little bit brazen with Bremner, considering that he's trying to blackmail her. She's quite forward and assertive. Bremner seems a little annoyed. He makes himself a drink and lights a cigarette while she speaks. She asks him if there were many other rich man's wives that he has bribed, and if they all capitulate easily. Bremner looks impatient now, like he's expecting a refusal. She tells him no. She will not go along with his proposition. Bremner says he'll have to tell her husband the truth about her affairs. Then she makes a big mistake. She tells Bremner that she's going to be honest with her husband about her affair, and she's going to tell him about 
Bremner's business practices. Bremner freaks out. He grabs Mrs. Kennicutt and he shakes her. Then with a slow motion backhand, he knocks her to the ground. And on the way down, she smashes her head on a glass table. Dead. Next, there is a weird montage scene where the camera looks into Bremner's eyeglasses and freezes the shot. Then a series of scenes appear in his glasses showing him wiping fingerprints, cleaning the drinking glasses, removing her jewelry, and finally him driving to a construction site to dispose of the body in plain sight. The Columbo Intro In the next scene, Columbo is driving in his beat-up old Peugeot, and he gets pulled over by a cop on a motorcycle. His right turn signals out. He says it's the second time he's been pulled over today, and he's on his way to a 187 PC. The patrolman realizes he's a cop, obviously, and offers to give him an escort. Now at the apparent crime scene, a construction site. Some detectives are talking about the body with the coroner. Colombo isn't listening. He's looking for a match. He asks a random cop, no luck. He asks the photographer, no luck. Then he asks some other cop, and he has a match. The detectives mention that the body is Mrs. Arthur Kennicutt, and that they had better handle this properly. Columbo then checks the body, and notices the bruise on the left cheek. In the next scene, Columbo and Kennicutt are in the coroner's office so that Kennicutt can identify the body. The sheet covering the body is removed. Columbo watches Kennicutt closely, and believes his reaction. He knows Kennicutt is not the murderer. They leave the room and sit down in the hospital waiting area. Kennicutt tells Columbo that he realizes that the spouse is the primary suspect in these type of cases. Kennicutt says that at the time of the murder, he was in San Francisco, and his secretary can confirm the flight and the hotel. And Kennicutt tells Columbo to clear him and then get down to the business of finding the real killer. Columbo asks if she had any enemies. No. Were there other men? Kennicutt says she had a clean bill of health. Any hobbies? Tennis. Skin diving. Kennicutt tells Columbo that he and Lenore loved each other and that he does not intend to be patient. Now it's the next day at the Kennicutt mansion. Columbo arrives at breakfast. Kennicutt is in the giant backyard. It's like Versailles. Kennicutt asks for an update. Any leads? No. No solid leads, but Columbo thinks that Lenore knew her murderer. He explains that before the murder, she was at the beach house. She told the caretaker she had some thinking to do and she was going to take a walk. He thinks these are the actions of someone with something on her mind, a problem. If she did have a problem, it may indicate who the killer was. Kennicutt is impatient that Columbo only has speculations at this point and no real leads yet. They go inside and Columbo meets Bremner. Bremner says he's heard of Columbo from the commissioner who spoke very highly of him. Kennicutt says he asked Bremner to help out on the case and Bremner makes it clear that he's there in an advisory capacity only. Kennicutt mentions that Bremner called and offered his services on the case. This may be the exact moment that Columbo begins to have suspicions about Bremner. Columbo asks if they already knew each other. He seems to be more concerned with why Bremner contacted Kennicutt than what his role on the case will be. 
Bremner mentions that his firm has done some personal work for Mr. Kennicott in the past. Columbo seems agreeable. In fact, he starts acting simple. Now, acting simple is usually the sign that Columbo has some suspicions that a person is involved with the murder. In any case, he seems to want to create some leverage by making Bremner underestimate him. He says that he's a superstitious guy, that he believes in palmistry and astrology. He reads Kennicutt's palm and tells him that his fate line breaks, but then picks up again, and that's a good sign. Then he reads Bremner's palm. He says Bremner's palm shows signs of a man who is destined for a particular type of distinction. Now, this is some serious foreshadowing. After reading their palms, he attempts to leave the room, but ends up opening a closet. Kennicutt informs him that it's a closet, and that a lot of people make that mistake. He sees some golf clubs. Are these ladies' clubs? You didn't mention that she played golf. Bremner is starting to look concerned. Columbo asks why she didn't leave them at the club. Kennicutt tells him that those are an extra set that she uses for lessons. Then she doesn't take lessons at her club? Kennicutt asks if it's important, and Columbo says he just likes to get the details nailed down. Columbo turns to leave and hesitates and asks if this is the correct door. Now at the country club, where Lenore took her golf lessons, the golf pro is giving lessons to an attractive woman with serious socks. The lesson finishes, and he goes back into the clubhouse and sees Columbo looking at his appointment book. Columbo introduces himself. The pro seems guarded, a little defensive, a little aloof, slightly irritated. He looks like a cross between John Mayer and Mark Sanchez. Columbo asks him about Lenore, and he says he knew her, but not too well. Columbo points out that he gave her a lot of lessons. He asks if she was, quote, on the lookout. The pro seems annoyed at this and says he doesn't get involved in the personal lives of club members. So Columbo changes tactics with the pro, and he asks him if he can give him a quick golf lesson. They walk outside to the driving range, and Columbo mentions that the first two lessons he gave Lenore were in the morning, and the next 13 were the last lessons of the day. The pro doesn't seem to have a well-thought-out answer for this, and he begins stammering. Columbo interrupts him and advises him to not say anything until he gets an attorney. He says that he knows something about his business, and he can tell when someone is not being truthful with him. Then he hits a long, straight drive, and he tells the pro that he'll be back to talk to him later, and he leaves. So now at the Bremner Associates office, Bremner is leading a team meeting with his staff, explaining that they will concentrate their efforts on Bremner's theory that Lenore was walking along the Pacific Coast Highway, forced into a car, the motive was robbery, she fought back and was killed. Then the killer drove around in a panic and dumped the body. The He Knows Scene Columbo arrives and the meeting disperses. He brought a copy of the Lenore Kennecutt file for Bremner to review. Bremner asks him for a rundown. Columbo says, no leads, but then he brings up the autopsy report. It shows that Lenore had a bruise and a weird cut on her left cheek. What causes that kind of a cut? Could be a ring. If a man is going to strike a woman, he likely strikes her with an open hand, either front hand or backhand. They seriously had this conversation. But to leave that cut from a ring, it must have been a backhand. Bremner completes the thought. And because it's on the left side of her face, the killer must have been left-handed. And he motions a backhand smack to Columbo's face that causes Columbo to recoil slightly. 
As Bremner motions the backhand to Columbo's face, if you watch Columbo's eyes, you can see him giving the he knows look. A long look after Bremner turns to his desk and his back is turned. Columbo holds the long look. This all happens quickly, but if you look closely, you can see it. So Columbo then composes himself. Yes, I would say we have a left-handed killer and an unpremeditated crime. Bremner seems surprised at the suggestion. Columbo goes on to explain that a man doesn't kill with his hands unless he's angry, and that maybe he didn't mean to do it. Maybe it was an accident. Columbo even suggests that the murderer has a terrible temper. Well, he nailed it. He then comes up with some phony excuse to have Bremner write on paper so that he can confirm that Bremner is left-handed. He says, let's make up a receipt for the case file that he's leaving with Bremner. Of course, Bremner writes out the receipt with his left hand, and Columbo points out this fact, and Bremner finishes writing the check with his right hand, demonstrating that he is ambidextrous, left-handed and right-handed. Playing the fool scene. Bremner tells Columbo that he would like some time to digest the case file, and Columbo gets up to leave, but just before he does, he turns and asks Bremner if he likes living at the beach. Let's listen to the clip. My sister-in-law, she wants to buy a place out at the beach. How do you like it out there? Who told you I was living out at the beach? I know. I, I noticed your car out in front of Mr. Kennecott's. You know, you parked it there in the driveway, and as I was walking by, I saw that the chrome was tarnished. You know what the salt there does to it. It just eats the life out of it. Yeah, that part's a problem, all right. Uh, you're a very observant man, Lieutenant. That's not what my wife says, sir. <laughs> well, you tell your sister-in-law that she will love it at the beach. She doesn't mind that uh, problem with the salt air on the chrome. I'll give her that message, and thanks again. Thank you. Oh, well, say, have you ever been to Mr. Kennecott's house? Yes, I met you there. No, I didn't mean the big house. I meant out at the beach. I was just wondering because your beach house and his beach house, they're fairly close, aren't no, they? No, it's a couple of miles. That close? Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> I'll tell you, this case is just full of them. Okay, so a few things happened there. Columbo let Bremner know that he is being investigated through the Beach House comment. He also hints that Bremner had opportunity. He was geographically close to the Kennecott Beach home. And then when Columbo leaves, Bremner's smile fades really quickly. He's pissed because he knows that Columbo is on to him. Now it's nighttime. The golf pro is packing up his stuff at the clubhouse, intending to leave town. He gets into his car and Columbo is waiting in the passenger seat. They take a walk. In a parked car nearby, one of Bremner's surveillance henchmen is watching them. The golf pro admits that he had an affair with Lenore. He says that Lenore got guilty, and one day she just called it off. And then when you showed up, I got scared. Columbo believes him because he doesn't wear a ring, and there is no ring tan line on his finger, so he knows that he didn't just take the ring off. Columbo asks if Lenore would have come to him if she was concerned about anything. He says no, but that he was concerned because there was a man following them. He gives Columbo a description of the man who followed them. Crew cut, military type. Meanwhile, the surveillance guy calls Bremner to inform him that the golf pro and Columbo are talking. 
Bremner hangs up and calls Leo, who fits the description that the golf pro gave. He sends Leo away, thinking that Columbo will try to speak with him and be able to confirm that Bremner's firm knew about the affair. The next day, at the Bremner Associates building, an employee is giving Columbo a tour of the cutting-edge technology. Reel-to-reel computer, company cars with telephones of sorts, and metal detectors. The hapless tour guide starts blabbing about an incident involving a client. Bremner comes out of his office and overhears the employee. In front of everybody, he blows up at the guy about keeping confidentiality, showing Columbo that he has a temper. Then he calmly asks Columbo to join him in his office. In his office, Bremner asks Columbo to join him for lunch. He's having cannelle of soul. And Columbo says, if that's fish, then yes. They sit to eat, and Columbo tells Bremner that Mrs. Kennicutt was having an affair with a golf pro and that they were being watched. Then he suggests a theory for the crime that is exactly what happened. Let's listen to the clip. Suppose Mr. Kennicott hired somebody to check up on his wife. And this somebody lied to him. He said to Mr. Kennicott, look, your wife, she's got a uh, clean bill of health. Now there's somebody, whoever it is, he's in a perfect position to blackmail Mrs. Kennicott. Now suppose she refuses. See? She says, no, I'm going to go tell my husband. I think it's a terrific motive, don't you? Lieutenant, you have a marvelously convoluted mind. I do. I like it. The trouble with your theory is it not only is it very tenuous, but it's impossible to prove, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got a little tomato on that there. Well, I said it was nutty. What do you think? You think I'm gonna drop it? Hmm? If you believe in it, stick to it. Run it on down. One other thing you should keep in mind. Nothing at all to do with the case. What's that? Your future. I'd like you to work for Bremer Associates. That's a good clip. I especially like how Colombo uses the exact phrase, a clean bill of health the phrase that Kennecutt used with Columbo earlier about Lenore. Bremner does the right thing in not trying to dissuade Columbo of the theory and tells him to stick with it if you believe in it. Then he swings for the fences by offering Columbo a job at Bremner Associates in order to get him off of the case. Columbo says he needs to think it over and asks if he would remain on the Kennecutt case. And Bremner says there are other matters that are more important that he would get put on right away. Columbo leaves the office and runs into the hapless tour guide, Denning, from earlier. Columbo apologizes for getting him into trouble. Denning says that he's used to it. Mistake number two. That Bremner is in control most of the time, but when he loses control, watch out. Columbo tells Denning that he was offered a job, and he uses that leverage to find out who the top agent at Bremner Associates is. It's Leo. Crew cut, ex-marine type. Columbo asks Denning how he can get in touch with Leo, and Denning gets him Leo's home address. Mistake number three. The next scene, Columbo is pushing Leo's kid on a swing at the park. The kid's mother comes back from getting an ice cream, and she's like, WTF, or at least she should be. Columbo explains that he's from the police, and he's looking for Leo. The wife says she doesn't know where he is, 
and that he left last night on a case and he took his passport. Now at the DMV, in the next scene, to renew his license, the patrolman who pulled him over in the beginning mentioned that his license was about to expire, so I guess that's why he's there. There's a lady ahead of Columbo in the lineup, reading from the eye chart. She gets them all right, and she mentions that she has a new prescription. She turns around to leave and gives Columbo a really unimpressed look. Columbo suddenly remembers that Lenore had glasses on in a pitcher in the Kennecott home, but there were no glasses on the body. So he turns and he runs out of the DMV. Now at Kennecott's home, Kennecott and Columbo are in mid-conversation and Kennecott is explaining that Lenore wore contacts. Columbo goes through her personal effects and finds a lens case, but no contacts. Columbo wants to exhume the body, and Kennecutt gives him the okay. So we're moving right along here. Now at the cemetery, Columbo and Kennecutt are there. A surveillance henchman who has been following Columbo calls Bremner and tells him that Columbo and Kennecutt are at Lenore's grave with an order to exhume the body. Bremner hangs up. He calls down to the garage for his car, and he leaves the office. In the garage, the maintenance guy can't start Bremner's car. Bremner demands another one as he's in a hurry, and he says he wants his car repaired by tomorrow. Bremner arrives at the cemetery and gets in Kennecutt's limo. He expresses his disappointment at the futility of what they're doing. Columbo comes over to the car window and says that the coroner has confirmed that a contact is missing from the body. Bremner says it could be anywhere. She could have lost it before she was killed. Now this is the setup. Columbo says that he wishes that the killer knew about this development. Before he leaves, Columbo makes it clear that if he can find that contact, they will find the real crime scene and possibly the killer. And Bremner's listening very closely. Now at Bremner's beach house that night, Bremner's on his hands and knees with a flashlight. He has the shag rug folded over so that he can systematically search the shag rug for the contact lens. The doorbell rings, and it's Columbo. He's there to annoy Bremner and to inform them that he's declining the job offer. He wants to see the case through. As Columbo is leaving, Bremner says, you'll let me know if anything breaks on the case, and Columbo tells him, you'll be the first to know. Columbo leaves, and Bremner's face shows his worry. Columbo's little visit helped to reinforce in Bremner that he is the prime suspect and that he had better find the contact lens before Columbo gets a search warrant and finds it himself. Let's recap what has happened thus far. Arthur Kennecutt, a newspaper mogul, has hired Bremner Associates to investigate his wife's activities. As Kennecutt suspects she is having an affair, Bremner's firm discovers that Lenore is having an affair, but Bremner lies about it to Kennecutt and tries to blackmail Lenore into being an information source for his firm. Lenore refuses Bremner's offer and threatens to expose his business practices. Bremner strikes Lenore in an angry outburst and she is accidentally killed. Kennecutt hires Bremner's firm to assist Columbo in the investigation into Lenore's murder. Bremner tries to lead Columbo away from the truth, but Columbo slowly gathers circumstantial evidence that points to Bremner as the murderer. The Get Scene Picking up where we left off, Columbo had just left Bremner's beach house. 
Bremner calls the maintenance guy from the underground parking at Bremner Associates and confirms that his car is being serviced at the mechanics. He drives to the mechanic's garage and jimmies the back door lock to gain entrance. It's dark inside. He unlocks the trunk of his car and gets in with the flashlight. He searches the trunk and finds a lens. He gets out of the trunk and closes it and the lights in the garage turn on and there are several cops, including Columbo and Kennecut there. Columbo asks Bremner to explain his actions. Let's listen to the clip. Mind telling us what you're doing? I'd say that was none of your business, Lieutenant. Well, if you say so, but uh, it's going to be kind of hard to explain, isn't it? I mean, breaking and entering, that's against the law. Checking the trunk of your car, what in the world were you looking for? Papers. Or a case. I thought they were here. It's an emergency. Why don't you admit it? You were searching the trunk because that's where you hid the body. All right, what's the next step? Why don't we go downtown and talk it over? Am I under arrest? I guess you could On say so. On what evidence? I think it's got to be more comfortable downtown. All right. Let's get this farce over with. Grab his arms! It was an accident, Arthur. It wasn't premeditated. I hardly knew your wife. I didn't want to hurt either one of you. And there we have it. A good episode. Now, I don't like to get too bogged down in the believability of some of the logical leaps. I mean that when watching an episode, you should apply a heaping spoonful of suspension of disbelief in order to allow yourself to enjoy the experience. For example, I don't question why Miss Kennecut died after being backhanded and falling on a glass table. She could have had a pre-existing condition that we aren't privy to that would make a blow to the head fatal. It's not important, really. What is important is that an accidental murder took place, not the believability of it. That being said, it is somewhat distracting when there are sloppy plot points. Okay, for example, after Bremner admits to the crime and is taken away, Columbo tells Kennecut that there was no missing contact on the body. And Kennecut rightfully asks whose contact was in the trunk. And Columbo says, who knows? What? (laughs) I bet if you searched a thousand random car trunks, you would find zero missing contact lenses. Why not just write that the contact lens was missing from the body and that Bremner found the actual contact lens in the trunk? That's highly improbable, but not impossible. Or if you want to maintain the storyline that Columbo lied to set up capturing Bremner, don't make him find the lens in the trunk. Just turn on the lights in the garage and catch him in the act of searching the trunk and have him confess. I think maybe the writers wanted Columbo to seem devious by lying about the lens and trapping Bremner, but they felt that Bremner needed to find what he thought was the lens to be compelled to confess to the murder. So in my opinion, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a common occurrence in Columbo to have him lie to set up a trap that catches the murderer, either covering up his crime or self-incriminating. So it's believable to me that the writers wanted to accomplish this outcome and were a little overzealous. But enough said. Robert Culp. So Robert Culp was uh, born in 1930. He died in 2010 of a heart attack. He was actually found by a jogger on a walking path after he died. It's actually a pretty good way to go and doing something that you enjoy. It's better that than commuting or sitting on the can. Robert Culp was married five times. That's that's a lot. He had four children with Nancy Ash, 
Joseph, Joshua, Jason, Rachel. Somebody sure loves her Old Testament. He had one child with Samantha Culp from his marriage to Candace Faulkner. His acting career spanned from 1953 to his death in 2010. His other acting credits, uh, he was a recurring character on a show called Trackdown from the late 50s. Greatest American Hero from the 80s. Everybody Loves Raymond, unfortunately, of the late 90s and 2000s. I guess he was best known for I Spy, a series in the 60s, where he co-starred with infamous Bill Cosby. He's been in a slew of other middling TV shows, TV movies, and regular movies throughout his career. As far as Columbo episodes go, uh, he's obviously in this one. He was also in season two, The Most Crucial Game, and season three, Double Exposure, which I have ranked for me as a top five episode. Also, Robert Culp is my number two ranked Columbo villain on my personal scale. Culp is a, he's a great villain. Um, he's more of a pompous arrogance as opposed to Cassidy, who's like a smooth arrogant. Okay, Pat Crowley, who played Lenore Kennecutt. We're going to skip Ray Milan because he actually appears in another Columbo episode. We're going to talk about him there. So Pat Crowley, born in 1933, still alive and kicking, as of the podcast date. Um, she's been married twice. She had two children in her first marriage to Ed Hookstratton, good name, an entertainment lawyer. And she's been married to the much younger Andy Friendly, another great name, who is uh, largely a producer since 1986. Throughout her career, she was commonly confused with Kathleen Crowley. She's a contemporary who appeared in many of the same TV series, although they never appeared together in the TV series and they're not related. This sounds like it could have been a good movie itself. And Pat and Kathleen could have each been cast as themselves and made up to look more alike. Uh, they could have been rivals, like in a Poe short story, like the uh, William Wilson. And the audience could be left wondering whether both characters actually exist or whether one only one exists and one just exists in the other one's mind. All right, we're a bit off the rails. She was active as an actor between 1950 and 2012. Other acting credits, uh, she was a recurring character on Please Don't Eat the Daisies. What are these names? It's a 60s TV show. Also, Joe Forrester, a 70s TV show. And Dynasty, or as my family would say, Dynasty. She had a slew of other uh, TV shows, TV movies, and movies throughout her career. This is her only Columbo appearance. She did a good job. She was a good, um, I don't know, I don't want to say foolish, like a foolhardy victim, as any victim should be. I mean, showing up at the, at the home of a person who's blackmailing you alone at night and then threatening him, that's, that's a little bit foolhardy. Okay. I give this episode uh, rank 22nd of 43. That's very uh, particular, I know, um, from the original 70s run. It's a good episode, but ultimately kind of middling, right? Next week on the Predictably Treacherous Podcast, Dead Weight starring Eddie Albert and Suzanne Plachette. Here's a brief summary. A retired military general resorts to killing his business associate in order to sever ties to an ongoing investigation into shady business practices. When a witness surfaces, the general meets her on the battlefield of love. 
Meanwhile, Columbo must convince her that the general is not what he appears to be. Tune in next week.